Expounded Universe! Season 23 Wrap-Up Episode! The book, Rogue Planet by Greg, T, I assume, Bear! The book, wait, I just said what the book was! I should start over, but I won't! The year was 2000, there are no chapters, your questions will be answered! With your hosts, Jeff and John, let's fucking go! Hey, keep it down in there. No! I'm drunk and it's my day! Hi everybody, welcome to Expounded Universe, the wrap-up, where we are going to discuss our great-length thoughts on Rogue Planet, the Star Wars book we just read. Yeah. I'm we're, Jeff. We're definitely doing that. We're definitely going to do that. We're not going to do any other thing. Nope. Uh, why would... Certainly not. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> well, who brought that up? <laughs> why would you think that? <laughs> we're going to do normal human stuff. We're normal humans. Uh-huh. Doing normal human things. Uh, 100% normal human. Not even 10% vampire, if that's what you were thinking. For sure. Why would you? This is a regular beverage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me see your neck real quick. <laughs> Human reasons. Ah, <laughs> uh, you seem to have human filth on you. I should bite you about it. <laughs> you know, like a human would. You know. Yeah, humans are always going around biting each other on the filth. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> no, it's pretty true. <laughs> if I know anything about millennials, they're always biting each other on the filth. You know what I'm saying, you millennials. You just bit me for filth. <laughs> Anyway, if you have questions about biting each other in the filth, come on down to Relationship Mastery, <laughs> the new show we just did, or I just made. <laughs> so, uh, God bless. So how are you? I'm doing fine. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I had a wonderful time in Los Angeles this weekend. Mm, despite the nastiness of that area. Yeah, well, general. thankfully, I was actually in my old stomping grounds in Pomona. Oh. Which is... Like an hour away from L.A., which yeah. is exactly where I want to be. Not in L.A. <laughs> That's the best version of L.A. Yeah. When you're basically using L.A. as a shorthand to mean about an hour and a half north of here. <laughs> <laughs> where you could just as easily be describing like Riverside. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, you're probably right. That's, I mean, it's in L.A. County, so, you know. <laughs> I mean, Riverside isn't, but still. No. <laughs> but Pomona is, so yeah. sure. It has the L.A. County Fair. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> That's good. I uh I instead of doing that, I I stayed home so I could do the interview about the new book we have coming out. We had mm. a, a a pop culture podcast interviewing us about our new coloring book. Uh it turned out it was because the host is a coloring book aficionado Ooh. and was really excited that our book, our new coloring book, Dungeon Meister Goblin Quest, a coloring book. I think that's the full title. Um is done in a high gloss adult friendly format where it's every other page has the art on it so that you don't get bleed through with your fancy alcohol markers. Yeah. Uh, which I, I kept taking credit for, but I, if I'm very honest with you, I didn't do the layout and I have no idea how, how that stuff is handled. And that's with you, John, who, who I don't know why I'm being honest with you about it because you already know, I don't know what the fuck is happening at any given time. <laughs> Whereas I was like, Oh, I assumed that would be the way that you do it. Cause why wouldn't you in an actual for adults coloring book? I know, book? and I was doing the opposite. I was assuming that it was going to show up as like 
you know, a kid coloring book, like 25. Everything slightly... on like the crappiest grainy paper you yeah, can find. Grainy, slightly gray paper that feels like toilet paper thin. Uh, all just held together with two staples. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. Oh. You know, a little forward at the beginning about the museum you bought this from and how it's got great pictures of real whales. <laughs> uh, no vampire whales in there. Real human whales. <laughs> the humanist whales. <laughs> Brendan Fraser right in there. <laughs> so so anyway, yeah, check out our cool coloring book. It's rad. Yeah. It's high quality. So that's what I, that was my weekend was mostly that and taking Sage to fun places. Hooray. Yeah. Fun places. Yeah. So uh, we just finished reading Rogue Planet. That's right. And uh, as always, the format for these wrap-up shows is that we we kind of need some time between reading Star Wars books because they're, you know, not great. Um, You know. Not normally. They're not not normally great. And so we we do one episode to discuss kind of the whole gestalt, the zeitgeist, if you will. I like to assume that there are some people who just listen to these episodes. Yeah, just get... Just get our, our final thoughts on yeah, it. The Cliff Notes version of the, of the story, as it were. Uh, and then we will do uh, listener questions, which we will pull up from uh, our Discord. So if you're listening to this, you, you obviously missed your chance. But, you know, next time yeah. you can go there and follow the instructions to ask us questions. Mm-hmm. And then when we're done, what we the final thing we do in every one of these episodes is announce the next book. That's right. Yeah. The next book. Even though we take a week off, it's still in a super exciting time for you to learn about what's coming in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it gives anyone who wants to read along, because I know we do have a few people that yeah. like to do the read along, so you have enough time to purchase the book and get that shipped to you before the new episodes start. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a service we offer. It's definitely not just because we're lazy. Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't be lazy. No human is. No, no human is lazy. <laughs> All of us humans are very productive. We are. I go to a job during the day. Mm-hmm. Wasting the nighttime is the only thing humans enjoy doing. That's right. Lying motionless and vulnerable. <laughs> uh, like I like to do. All the time. All the time. Vote for me. So... <laughs> Uh, Rogue Planet, to summarize, this is a uh, Clone War era or a prequel era story set between episodes one and two in which Anakin and Obi-Wan go on a magical adventure to a living planet where the whole planet is one living consciousness uh, to build a magic spaceship in a special grove for that. And then they get to take it on one fun ride uh, and then and then uh, it dies and everyone dies and it's sad. Yeah, it's wild to me because... I know we talked about this. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of overlap between things that were said in various episodes. Sure. But it is still absolutely wild to me that this got made with the fact that I can almost 100% guarantee that Greg Bear was not given any sort of knowledge on the upcoming movie. Well, like I've been saying, my, my copy has an interview with him in the back, and he says right at the start, how much of this was your idea? And he's like, all of it. They gave me very minor notes. I know, but that's what I'm saying, is the fact that they let him do that without any knowledge of what the second movie in the prequels were going to be. So he was able to just be like, yeah, here's a bunch of horseshit that Anakin gets up to. And you're like, that will never be referenced. And it seems weird because this is going to be like, you know, from the writing, a very pivotal time. It's the first time Anakin kills someone. Yeah. And, you know, he has this great, like, awakening of the Force. The Force really awakens in him. He mm-hmm. really feels like he might be the last Jedi. 
And then, you know, at the end of it, there's a rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and he starts to develop a new hope about the whole thing. (laughs) But then the Empire strikes back. (laughs) And somehow Palpatine returned. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure necessarily that this is the first time Anakin kills somebody. They, the book makes a point of trying to describe it as such, but I vaguely recall Anakin in Phantom Menace flying his Naboo starfighter into an occupied, inhabited spaceship, blowing it up, and then flying away from it again. And sure, there was mostly droids on that thing, but he definitely killed some Nymoidians. Yeah, those aren't people. <laughs> well, not in his view. I mean, they're you not Tarkin. Tarkin would approve. Yeah. But then that would just indicate that he still hasn't killed anyone because all he kills in this book is this weird blood carver guy. Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> They're 40% more human than a, than a Nymoidian. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and, and perhaps it is, despite that, also true. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, the... Uh, I gotta say, the inclusion of Key Dave the blood carver in this feels weird because throughout the whole thing it basically when you read the book after you're done you're like oh this guy only exists to be someone that anakin can kill yes yeah he has to be like a super bad guy with a 100 percent intractable code that forces him to require to force someone else to kill him because otherwise anakin who is desperate to try and talk the situation down might succeed and it also it has to be that because you need it to be a thing where you're like it can't be just a pure evil guy. If it's like, wah ha ha, I want to murder you and everyone and Anakin kills him, then you're like, okay, well, I don't feel bad. And even if Anakin feels bad, you're like, dude, you just murdered a horrible evil guy. Yeah, and Obi-Wan does shit like that all the time. Yeah, the fact that it was like, oh no, Key Dave is like, I'm trying to get my honor back. I fucked up. Like, culturally, I am forced to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. I feel, you know, like Anakin has a weird kinship thing with him. So... The fact that there is that level to it where you're like, oh, he doesn't have a choice, so he is going to do this, and it is required that he gets killed, but at least he is not a fully unsympathetic character. Yes, yeah, he has just enough in there that Anakin's able to get into his mind and establish that this is a guy. Like, this is a guy who's been through some things, and and not only that, but in some ways has a backstory that is not dissimilar from mine, that he was... I, I believe he's not an orphan, but he is disconnected from it. I mean, he was an orphan. He's just yeah. been adopted into a into a, a a powerful family, which means he really is quite similar to Anakin in some respects. Yeah. Anakin, you know, he you started the, at the bottom and now he's yeah. here. Well, if you count the Jedi Council as a powerful family, so yeah. to speak, then yeah, he, he's got this kind of similar backstory that makes it so it hurts that Anakin has to do that. He's a neat character. I feel like it's he's a hard character to get what he's supposed to look like based entirely on the descriptions of this book. Yes. And that's that's a regular problem in Star Wars books that we've encountered is, you know, they'll start describing someone from first principles. This guy, in his case, he's got his face. It looks like a hatchet. That's supposed to be like he's got a narrow blade like face with two flaps where the nostrils would go. So I guess those are kind of connected to part of the axe hand blade that is his face yeah and those can flare up like open like mud flaps on a truck or something uh and, and when he's like puzzled or so so he can kind of go from an axe to like an axe that's open in the front <laughs> and, and also all of his arms and legs are triple jointed so yes. he's got like two elbows per arm yep um and so it, it's really hard to get an idea of what exactly this would look like it sounds like a gangly mess to me yeah and i do appreciate the I'm trying to make an alien that looks, you know, alien, 
Yeah. And the fact that he also managed to get away with making a non pre-established uh, species because so often in these books, you know, once you got past those early like Lando and Han trilogies, mm-hmm. once you got to the point where they were like, no, we've named all of the species and you have to use the shit that we have named. Yeah. It's so rare that you get like, oh, here's an interesting thing that exists in the universe unless it is a singular thing and it is the weird MacGuffin, think- which this almost still qualifies for because we only meet the one. Yeah, like if you look up uh, Blood Carvers, they, they give very little information on the overall website, although people have drawn other ones that have existed. Yeah, there are, t- I think, technically at least one other story about like a Blood Carver that exists. Yeah, there's a guy named Kovakier, who's another Blood Carver, um, who apparently was around also in the same general area of time, like in 19 BBY, he was doing a thing. He helped the Jedi General Das Janir escape from New Plimpto. <laughs> Great. Mm, New Plimpto sounds like a really delicious sandwich to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a New Plimpto. So he was active. No, during... one of the ones in the back, a New Plimpto. <laughs> you check around and see if you've got any fresher Plimptos than that. <laughs> uh, but I can't find any other names uh, besides those two. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, I mean, granted, some of the authors do get to make up a species. When they do, they they really lean into it. You know, you've got, uh, what was it, the, uh, the 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 guys who had four arms and were werewolves. Yeah. And then in the same book, the Ferrario were a whole new thing. So sometimes they get away with it, um, but they never show up again. And the neatest thing about the Bloodcarver is, uh, I, just from clicking around to see if I can remember what they look like, I, I have noticed that they have a miniature that's, that at some point... A Bloodcarver assassin was one of the masters of the Star Wars Force common minis in those like blind box games you can you can oh, buy. Yeah. Remember when that was the whole thing? All right, we could own a Bloodcarver right now, John, for a dollar forty nine. For a dollar, dollar forty nine. Get me a Bloodcarver up in here. We'll put it next to uh, Elan over there. Yeah, between uh, Elan and my tiki mug that looks like an Ewok. Yeah. Now, the, I mean, Key Dave, in addition to just being sort of a weird, like, one-off kind of thing with blood carvers and whatnot. I I do sort of wish that either we had gotten more or less of him. Like, I know they had to get just enough to be like, oh, when Anakin mercs this dude, it has to mean something. Yeah. But I feel like if you wanted to actually make that a thing, you could have spared some time in this like all star wars novels very draggy in the middle yes, story yeah to be like all right what's key dave doing give me a chapter from his perspective because we get almost no internal monologue from key Dave. i mean part of that i kind of appreciate uh not so much i mean that i'm disagreeing with you i think i think you're for the most part right but i do think one of the best things in this book is the part where we establish that key dave flunked out of the test to, to get his own spaceship and then he kind of goes gorilla. We know he kind of goes nuts in the up in the the middle distance in the north, wherever that is. And then we don't hear about him for a while until he shows up with a bomb and is like, "Fuck you! I'm winning now." <laughs> and I'm like, "That's great because that means this dude somehow managed to travel travail like 500 miles of this living jungle by himself with other people trying to stop him just so he could surprise Obi Wan once." And that's one of those things where I'm like. <sighs> But part of me goes, yeah, but how? Like, how did you even manage to fucking 
laser pinpoint exactly where Anakin and Obi-Wan were in a giant multi-mile long trench. How did you even know where they were in the trench or what trench they were in? They weren't. They were on the outside of the other end of the trench. They were still in the trench. No, they weren't. They were up on the top. They, they, their ship had been lifted up and out and placed above the trench at the like the other end of it when it closed off again in their special like little platform area for like looking at your fancy new ship and then living in like a little nearby hotel until your ship's ready to go. Ah. It's it's. It, it, I mean, I'm not saying that that explains the fucking key Dave appearance scenario. It clearly doesn't. I have to assume he was. He's been his adventure would make for a good secondary story. But you know what? It would be fine if it was the chapter after he surprised Obi-Wan. Yeah. Because you'd be like, uh, surprise, bitches. I've been living and, and thriving by murdering everyone I encounter on Zonama Sakat. And then I'm going to get you. Okay, I fucking got you. And then the next chapter starts with, it had been a rough couple of months for Key Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would have been fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, instead of having yet more chapters where it's just, Anakin enjoyed these balls. Boy, were they spiky. And you're like, all right, I get it. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, of course, the other thing we obviously have to talk about is Sinar and Tarkin. Yeah, Wraith Sinar being one of the greatest additions to the Star Wars canon that we've come across in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we'll stick with him in our minds for longer than a lot of the characters from books we've read recently. Of course. Like, I couldn't name, and I liked this book. I couldn't name a single character from that zombie book we read. Oh, yeah. I, I have no, not a single one of their names has, has stayed in my head. No, of course not. Because I think I might be able to work my way to whatever the fucking Darth's name was, because I'm sure it's going to be, you know, Darth... In insanius or whatever, yeah. Sanguinous or whatever the fuck. <laughs> no, that, that that might be a chapter master or some Darth shit. Darth Umatism. <laughs> Darth Uma Thurman? <laughs> Darth Uma Thurman. That's the one. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I remember how he dies, but yeah. that's that's it. Uh, but but I feel like Sinar was such an interesting creation that he's going to stay in my head for a while because he's just such a little bastard. And it's great, again, because they took a character that is wildly on the periphery of just like, Oh, here's someone that if you are a huge Star Wars nerd, you're like, oh, Sinar subsystems. Yeah, I, I fucking know that. They make the TIE Fighters. Yeah. And you go, yeah, but did you know that the CEO of that company is a bratty bottom? And you're like, I did not, but I'm glad I do. <laughs> you had my interest. <laughs> it's so interesting to be like, hey, I want to talk about a younger Tarkin and... Also, the absolutely fucking wild relationship he has with the CEO of a company. Who's also young. Like, the only thing that kills me about Sinar and Tarkin is that we get to see Tarkin as an older man long enough to watch him die in New Hope, right? But how great would a fucking grumpy old man scenario be when he's still dealing with Sinar that many years later? And he's they've both just gotten worse. I mean, imagine the fact that this ends with Tarkin... Basically, stealing and claiming credit for the plans for the Death Star. Yes. And imagine it getting built and him having to call Sinar for tech support. Oh, yeah. Imagine just... Imagine dragons. Imagine dragons. <laughs> imagine... <gasps> ima wow, they'd be amazing. <laughs> and the dicks on those things. <laughs> Sky's the limit. <laughs> uh, sky's the limit. <laughs> 
what I was going to say is imagine the scenario at which it, word of the first Death Star's destruction gets back to Sinar, oh retired God. on some beach planet. He's like, because the fact that it ends with him going like, no, I want no part of yeah, anything that, in I, that I, station. That was a stupid idea, and I'm glad you stole it. Specifically, he gets the bad feeling about this line. Yeah, and then when he's like, well, here I am making, you know, act absolute billions and trillions of dollars from all of my TIE fighters to mm-hmm. the Empire, and then he just gets, like, the newspaper and he's sipping a Mai Tai, and it's like, Death Star blows up in terrorist raid, and he's like, ha ha! What a <laughs> dumb fuck. I just wanted to kind of go, hmm, and then just order another drink and call it a day. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Goes through, flip, 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 goes to obituary, sees Tarkin. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shakes, <laughs> shakes, shakes paper, folds it, puts it down. Garçon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gets up, adds an extra knot to his cravat that's tied around his his swimming outfit that includes a swimming shirt. Yeah. And is like, hmm, I'm going to retire to my cabana for the day. <laughs> Wraith Sinar wins. It just takes him 25 years. Oh, God. <laughs> Dude, DJ Khaled's song starts playing. I mean, come on. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so just give us that. That's the co- this book's coda thing, because it ends on like this. Hey, I realized that I forgot to write like three extra chapters of ending. So, uh, OK, here's what happened. Uh, Jabatha died like the ship, not the person. Yeah. Uh, neither can be right, though. Uh, uh, a- a- Anakin still goes through his tests. What, uh, what's her name? Uh, Thracia Cholim quits the Academy and walks away from the Star Wars continuity two months later. <laughs> Just walks out of existence. Yeah. Charza Quinn becomes a uh, a cool space pirate. All this, you know, just, I wanted to see more of that rather than just have it being recited out to me. But if if 25 years later on the planet Key West... <laughs> uh, yeah. That is the kind of post credit scene yeah. that I would love for a book. Yeah. <laughs> just finish everything up and then you're like, Meanwhile, 25 years later, and then you read that, and you're like, God bless. <laughs> Especially because it would have been perfectly functional in canon. Yeah. Like, I don't remember, I don't know when Wraith Sinar dies canon-wise. Like, it might, we might, it might be a thing we know. It might be. I, I don't know, but it might be a thing that is, it is known. But if it happened even a year or two after the destruction of the Death Star, that's fine. Yeah. To give me that little coda and be like, oh, he's on some beach planet, retired and a billionaire, and he gets the news and he just goes, hmm, none of my business, and sips a big <laughs> thing of tea. Come on. Great. So. But yeah, we do get young Tarkin. I'm I'm less enamored of young Tarkin than I am of how great Sinar was. Largely because Tarkin felt like all he was using him for was references to New Hope Tarkin. He's making the exact same mistakes. The one problem I had with young Tarkin is also one of the things I enjoyed, which is just that it feels like Greg Bear's opinion of Tarkin is much lower than most people's because most people look at Tarkin and they're like, oh, that guy's a super badass and, you know, he definitely was awesome, but that's mostly just, you know, because of who played him. Yes. Yeah. But in a lot of gravitas, he looked and he was like the only person in that movie that was straight up standing up to Vader and kind of casually dismissing him. Yeah. You're like, oh, this guy fucking rules. Yeah. But. Instead, you're like, okay, but if you just look at what is it Tarkin does, you're like, oh, he is a vast egomaniac that completely overestimates his capabilities and the capabilities of his weapons. Yeah. And he's like, 
all right, I'm going to show that. And just constantly having Tarkin show up and be like, hey, I've got power and you need to do what I say. And Sinar being like, dude, you don't, you don't need to. Yeah. It's fine. We're yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. My only problem with Tarkin in this book, like I said, is that he's pretty much just doing the Death Star shit again, where he's just like, mm, send in the army. I don't care. Blow them up. Mm. Oh, it's not working. Of course it's working. I don't care. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's a bit of a disappointment, but I, and it, but he just feels too much like old Tarkin. We don't get any real description of anything about him that's different than it will be in the future. Oh, yeah. The only thing I like about Tarkin in this book is that you can't tell if he is personally space racist or if he's just doing what Palpatine wants and, he, and he's just trying it on like a fucking shirt where he's just like, uh, humans are the future, you understand? Because Palpatine said they're the future. I don't give a shit, but I know how to get on board with the winning team. Ah. <laughs> uh... I mean, I feel like he's probably space racist. The way he's written it, because he's like, oh, in private going like, hey, by the way, humans, get on board. Yeah. Super great. And instead of going, hey, fucking the new regime is going to give a fuck about humans, so maybe care about that. It's much more like, hey, humans are awesome. (laughs) I do. The other thing I find hilarious is that. This is the first book to real I've read that's really gone into the whole anti-alien sentiment that was... A th- I mean, we got a little bit in the Jax Pavon book mm-hmm. when they, when he blew up uh, Manan or Manas or whatever the planet that the, the little elf guy was from. Yeah. They mentioned that uh, it, it's because those guys are like super peaceful and were also kind of resistant to the Empire's regime change. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, yeah, well, the Empire... The Emperor is known to be a racist. And this book is giving us a much more direct look of someone from inside the Emperor's inner circle making a case for it. You know, it'd be like, hey, humans are the future. And humans are so much easier to deal with, don't you think? And all that stuff he's saying to Anakin. But we still don't get the why. Yes. Why is Anakin, or sorry, is Palpatine and Tarkin by extension, why are they space racist? What what the, what power are they getting from it? What does what pushed them down that path? I, I mean, I'm sure it's probably because they're just bad guys. I mean, it almost makes sense when you look at Tarkin. Because Tarkin, at least, you're like, Oh, he's an aristocratic human. He comes from a mostly human planet. Mm. Like, having that sense of entitlement and, like, being better than other people and having that tied into being human makes more sense for him as a character. Palpatine being like, oh, I come from a planet that's, like, half some weird fucking other species and also my main master, the person who, like taught me everything and that I know was super powerful was not human. No, he was one of those uh, mostly vampire guys. Like, n- not a lot of human in there. No, not a whole lot of human in there. No. A lot of corduroy. Yeah, pretty much pretty much just vampire. Basically a corduroy vampire. Not like us. We're, we're human. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he's from Naboo, so he's got these Gungans. Granted, we do kind of establish that Phantom Menace, although they're very, very child-friendly in Phantom Menace, so you don't, you have to read between the lines a little bit. The Gungans are second-class citizens on their oh, own yeah. planet. I mean, that is at least thinking about it. I'm like, no, I guess if he comes from Naboo being like, oh, the only other non-humans I grew up around were Gungans. And let me tell you, dealing with Gungans has made me very racist. Especially because, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 taking it from the uh, impression that Gungans are Jar Jars. Yes. But there's just a whole community of Jar Jars. Because that's how Star Wars works. Yeah. As soon as you see any member of any species, that's what the entire species is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, except we... We see other members of that species, and they're like, other than the accent, they're pretty much much more with it and straightforward. Like, 
Captain Tarples is not a dipshit. Ah. Captain Tarples once fights General Grievous to a standstill. Ah. So, so anyway, um, where, where were we? Yeah, uh, Tarkin, I feel like I, I, I would have liked a little more youthful energy out of him. Something, something new. Yeah. Obi-Wan's exactly where he should be. That's yeah. fine. I like uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin in this. The, like, here's five or six years after the first prequel movie. That feels very accurate for both, like, where they should be, how they're acting. I was like, you know, Greg Bear does a very good job on characterizations yeah. for these characters. He does, yeah. Yeah, this book was not bad. I mean, it was not bad character-wise. Structurally, it suffers from the exact same problem that so many of these Star Wars books we've read have, have suffered from. Yeah. An opening intro sequence, 30 chapters of boring setup, and then in the last two chapters, the climax and the end. Yeah, and especially in this, and, you know, a bunch of other ones we've read, but it always feels like, oh, I gotta save the cool action scene for the end, because I can only have one. It's a book, dude. There's no budget. You can just go ahead and make up more cool action scenes. If you want to have, like, 50,000 ships blow up in space, you can do that every chapter. Yeah. No one can stop you. Yeah. But you, you can introduce a space dragon that swats the planet around like a pool cue. It's fine. No one. It's it's our. No one's going to make this into a movie. And the <laughs> the fact that this book especially is like I'm going to wait until the very end, and then it always just feels so rushed. Where they're like, oh, and then all the action happens, but all the action happens in like 20 pages. You're like, you can't just be like, oh, everything blows up, and then uh, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so the other characters to discuss before we, we uh, close the book on this book, would be the Zonama Sakatans. Yeah. So we got the Sakatan themselves, the uh, the planet, who we only very briefly get to meet, uh, and is basically a gestalt entity that speaks entirely in, in uh, you know, I don't know how to communicate with, with individual life forms. We've seen this done before, of course, because we read all the Lando books, uh, where, where we deal with a weird form of consciousness. How do you feel like it compares? Uh... Zonama definitely feels far more baseline up to speed. I mean, it's able to pretend to be the Magister. Yeah. Also pretend to have a daughter come in. Like, it can at least pretend to be human or Pharaoh, I guess. Yeah. It starts to fall apart when you ask it questions about it personally, as opposed to how do you pretend to be the Magister? It's like better at being the Magister than it is at answering its own questions. When Anakin asks it how old it is, and it's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm very young, but I remember billions of years back. Exactly. And I'm like, work harder, dude. You, you're clearly hyper-intelligent. Tell us how long you've been online in, in years. Eh, I mean, there's no reason why it would be hyper-intelligent. It's just a planet. Well, it does know how to design ultra spaceships and stuff. Eh. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe that just comes naturally. Like, I don't know how that to design be. white blood cells, but my body does it. Yeah, you're really good at it. I'm great at doing that. Yeah. Me too. I've got a splinter in my finger, and the thing is turning into, like, lots of white blood cells really fast right now. <laughs> and it keeps teaching these turtles how yeah. to do kung fu. <laughs> I've got a splinter into my finger, and his name is Mr. Bimble. <laughs> uh, and the actual, like, Faroans and the other folks that are there, it's wild to me that they essentially have this entire, like, upper-class, lower-class dichotomy of, like, 
if you're an actual Faroan, you get to live in the cool city that smells like cinnamon rolls, and your job is party haver. If you are anyone else, you live in the factory valley, and yeah. you get to stand in explosions for a living. And it's like they all develop a total love for it. Every one of the people, the Vagno and Vidge, and all those people we met in the factory felt exactly like those like incidental characters on Law and Order, where they won't stop stacking boxes to answer your questions about a murder. When you meet them, and they're just like. Yeah, it's really important that I that I make these spaceships at all times. Whereas I was just having a full like, oh no, this is a Disney thing. They have been told that they need to be on the entire time <laughs> that a a person has just paid ten billion dollars for one of these spaceships. You better act like you fucking love it here. You don't point with one finger. You point with two fingers because it's a more welcoming form of pointing. <laughs> you point with four fingers. I forget how the. I forget if it's two or four, but at Disneyland, uh, the yeah, employees... you can't point with one finger. Yeah, because that's it lo- rude. It looks rude, but doing a two finger point is acceptable. I've been meaning when I next time I head there to ask uh, lots every employee I see to point stuff for me to uh, point to stuff for me just to see that. Yeah, like hey, where's the nearest trash can? It's literally right behind me there. Can you please point to it? <laughs> Good. Yeah, but yeah, but where is you got to do the thing? <laughs> do do the thing. You got to do. The Come thing. on, monkey, dance for your <laughs> minimum wage, monkey. It's my birthday. <laughs> I got a birthday button. I'm the birthday boy with a birthday button. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just interesting to me that it Greg Bear sets this whole thing up on this planet and then does not comment yeah, it on it. Ends. It's just like, hey, I definitely made a very weird class system here where there are clearly people on the bottom of the totem pole. I am I don't care, though. (laughs) That's not what this book is about. It's about a 12-year-old getting a cool spaceship, and that's what I want to spend my time talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a cool spaceship. Don't Google it. (laughs) Don't don't try and find out what some artist tried to make. Just assume that the thing I described is rad. It's just an organic, rad collection of swoopy shapes and stuff, and not like a Winnebago. (laughs) Not just a suppository with a little wing on it. Yeah, like if a suppository opened up like like a parrying dagger... That, that's pretty much what it, oh, it's so bad. The worst. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, just, just trust us that it should have looked cool. Also, special mention for another character that, that's neat and in this book, Charza Quinn. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Love Big a fan. weird alien. Love a weird alien, especially a hyper-competent one that's good at the stuff that humans normally are good at. So this guy's not like, well, he's a weird fucking sea uh, worm monster. He's basically a fire worm or uh, any other number of that type. It could be a bobbit worm for all we know. Uh, but, but his... His deal is that he's an amazing space smuggler super pilot. Yeah. And not that he's like, I am. I have an infinite knowledge of all things worm-based. And the fact that they didn't do the standard thing that you do with a weird alien, which is, so all of my people are bounty hunters, and I'm, I'm the best at hunting people. Instead, it was just like, no, I've got a weird symbiotic relationship with the food crabs that live on here. And yeah. it's not just symbiotic in that they're like, Oh, and they like, I don't know, pick lice off of me. They help pilot the ship. The reason I'm an amazing pilot is because I have 50 arms and also dozens of tiny co-pilots. Yes, all of whom I'm going to eat later. It's great. It's great. That's exactly the kind of shit I want from Star Wars more and more when I'm reading these books is the kind of alien that would cost a trillion dollars to put in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Because you don't have a budget. Just give me something weird. No one's stopping you. This is why like Waru was okay, even though he was the stupidest thing in the world, because at least he was fucking crazy. 
or that that verbeeg or whatever that was that in uh in, in the crystal star yeah where it was like oh the, the lady who cooks the food for the plant the orphans on orphan planet is like a hexapod centaur dragon tentacle face screaming red monster yeah you're like that's awesome great no one will ever put that in a movie and i don't care they yeah. don't need to so charles quinn good shit i like his planet or i don't know his planet is but i like his ship I like the fact that he's, like, eating his young and Anakin gets grossed out by it and has to get, like, chewed out by Obi-Wan about it, where he's like, hey, that's a weird alien. You don't know from weird aliens. Stop acting like you do. That's an alien. Aliens are cool. We like aliens. We're pro-alien here. Uh, do you want to get to the questions? Yeah, sure. Might as well. I mean, I, I don't really know if we did an overall yes or no on this book in, in previous episodes when we've done this kind of thing. Uh, do, 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 would you recommend this one to people? <clears throat> Would you recommend any of these ever to anyone? Almost no. Like the Lando ones, sure. They're weird enough and interesting enough that that's fine. This book, again, Greg Bear, good writer and has a lot of good characterization. There's a lot of good character moments, mm -hmm. but it still suffers from the same Star Wars problems you get with basically all of these books yeah if you're curious about the uh what greg bear would otherwise write in the interview with him at the back of my copy of this book uh there is a bit that asks him if he tried to make this book anything like what he normally writes and he says oh absolutely not uh this was a rare treat to write in the star wars universe where i do not have to pay attention to functionality or science in the slightest yeah i could just go ha ham as much as i want my normal sci-fi books, because he's mostly a speculative sci-fi future author, mm -hmm. are like, I walk science right up to the edge of where it no longer works, and everything beyond that is like, trying to figure out how science works. Yeah. So, he's normally one of those. So, this is kind of a neat thing. There's also a bit where they, the, the interviewer says, like, you're one of a handful of, like, decorated, highly trained sci-fi authors who have been asked to write science books. I'm Vonda McIntyre's probably one of the other big ones. Yeah. Um what was that why don't you think there's more books like yours out there i really wanted to be like have you read crystal star <laughs> but uh but instead he's just like oh because no one wants to success breeds discontent and that means that a lot of struggling sci-fi authors are mad as hell at all these star wars books ah. as they just come out and sell easily on in every bookstore in the country even if they're crappy yeah and i was like dude you're right correct <laughs> not wrong <laughs> so so anyway, questions. Questions right. that need answering. So, starting us off, do you, so we had a question about this. Do you want me to read the names? I don't normally read the names on these when I do the questions, usually. How about and here's why. I'll explain. Because a lot of times, we have questions repeated from the same people. I was going to say, that's it. And so, I'd like it to sound a little more like, you know a bunch of different questions because if it's not like if someone goes in and asks five questions i'm not gonna do them i want to answer the questions but i don't want it to seem like anyway here's just one person taking up all the fucking space on the show but just know that it always is whether or not it seems like that yeah yeah it's always one person and you know who you are mm -hmm. thank you <laughs> thank you you keep us afloat <laughs> you're the wind beneath our wings uh, you know, I I don't actually care. I, I, someone right. asked about it a while back, and I kind of tried to answer, and I said that I used to do that all the time, and you didn't, and I wasn't worried about it. But my thoughts had run in the same direction as yours. Not necessarily because I want I didn't want people to feel like the show was dominated by one question answer, asker, uh, but because I uh, I usually, when I have like five questions in a row by somebody, I try to find the best one and ask that, and then move on. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't want people getting the impression. Like, I don't want to be skipping through and, and running into names I'm seeing and going like, oh, wait, did I already say that name? Shoot, I might skip this one, that kind of thing. Yeah. Just because the way my brain processes. Yeah. So I think it's probably better if instead of worrying about any of that, we just find questions we want to answer and we'll just skip the names for now. Yeah. And if people want us to say their names on the air, we can add a new Patreon tier just for that. <laughs> just like how they do on YouTube, where every YouTube video ends with like 10 minutes of dryly reading names from Patreon. God bless. Yeah. All right. First question. If you two got to go to Zonama Seacoat and go through the shipbuilding process, how many balls do you think you'd get to hang out with? And how would you want your own personal ships to look? Hmm. I mean, I figure I'm going to get, I'm not going to be greedy, obviously. Sure. No, I'm going to say three balls. You're going to get three balls? The I'm normal probably going to get th- a normal three balls. A very average amount. That sounds right to me. Okay, I think I'll probably, uh, let's see, I'm going to give myself four balls, because mm. I feel like I have a stronger connection to balls than you. See, whereas I was going to say, oh, I think you have a stronger connection to wanting to build a spaceship than me. That's also probably, you You wouldn't want to build a spaceship, like, very especially much? It's not, like, planes and things like that. Are your deal. That is very much my deal. So I feel like you would go into that chamber and the balls would be like, this guy's all about this it. This guy yeah. gets it. Yeah, this Fuck guy's yeah, going guy 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 to make us look awesome. Yeah. He's going to build a P-38, but it's going to have extra lasers. <laughs> Whereas I would go in there and be like, all right, balls, get down here. I'm making a stupid thing. Yeah, I pretty much want, I'm not going to put a lot of thought into this. You're pretty much going to be a flying saucer or just a larger version of you. <laughs> look, you know what I'm going to make? I'm definitely going to make just I don't know, probably an SR-71. <laughs> but with huge hanging naturals. <laughs> I want, I need five balls, three for the ship and two more for a couple hanging naturals. <laughs> and then one more for truck nuts. You know, there's a certain cont- uh, contingent of the internet that got really excited when we just said that just now. <laughs> that SR-71 with some hanging naturals uh, is pretty deviant art. I mean, mostly I'm just like, can you make me the... The Blackbird from the X-Men cartoon, thanks. I'd like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's not wildly inconvenient to try and pack a Winnebago's worth of space into the neck of an SR-71. Yeah, whatever. Your magic, do it. <laughs> Fucking hammer space-ass thing. <laughs> I think it's way cooler when the Blackbird is not an SR-71, because it doesn't make a fucking tiny bit of sense to anyone no. who knows that airplane at all. No, it doesn't. I've seen one of those in person and gone... Yeah, that, how the fuck would you do that? You, can't, you can barely fit the pilots where they're supposed to go. You don't have a whole fucking rumpus room behind them. <laughs> you don't got enough room for fucking Cyclops to play foosball back there. Yeah, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. But I love it. I love it, too, even though I prefer if it's another ship, like the Quinjet. Yeah. Or the Fantastic Car. Or the Wakanda things. I forget they have cool names or not. You know, the Wakanda things. The ones that look like flying masks. They're yeah. fucking rad. I just don't know if they get cool names. I'm sure they do. I'm sure. Just no one has said action, them out loud. They make action figures of them and shit, so there's no way they don't. There's a lot of cool spaceships in the MCU. Hey. You got the Milano and the Bowie. Yeah. All right. You anyway. got a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Ooh, actually, ooh, I could make that fucking, uh, the ship that, uh... Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. could do that. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I completely lost everyone's name out of just, my head. Just give me any part of the description at all, and I'll try and help you. Any part at all. You know, the little, like, the three ship. You the, know. The three ship. You know, the, it's got that. It's got it's got three little things pointing forward. You from know, the it's the Shizor ship. Oh, oh, yeah. The Shizor uh, ship, the... Uh, Whatever the fuck that was called, I can't remember. Yeah, the Virago. Ah, the Virago, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a, a neat a thing to make. Star spray or something. It's got spray in its name. I'm pretty sure. They look like butterflies. They're like tie, tie like tie balls with butterfly wings. 
Which is That's also my favorite album. Awesome. God damn it. Uh. <laughs> anyway, Rogue Planet, did being spoiled on the twist improve or hurt your reading experience with this book? And again, the twist is that the Yuzhan Vong that this planet has no. The, the twist is that the planet's alive. Oh yeah, I guess that's fair. I would have figured the twist is that the far outsiders are the Yuzhan Vong, and this is the precursor book to the uh, Yuzhan Vong stories. No, but it's it's got a lot of twists. How about that? And did knowing what was going to happen spoil this book for us or not? No, because I did not see Wraith Sinar coming, and he was the only part of this book I really truly gave a shit about. I mean, you know, if Jeff hadn't immediately gone, "Hey, this planet's alive," before reading it, because I didn't know. Oh, well, I, I, it's been bonus content before. Eh, I don't listen to anything you say. <laughs> it's been your bonus content before. <laughs> I don't listen to anything I say way more. I'm talking about Star Wars. I'm not listening. <laughs> I would listen. <laughs> uh, no, I think. Having the, oh, the planet's alive twist is so incidental to the the book because it's not like the planet being alive honestly changes anything. You could straight up have made it be, no, the planet is just a weird planet mm-hmm. and the Magister is actually alive, but he was projecting an image and not had the planet be alive and nothing would have changed in this. Yeah, there's not enough because they keep the twist for so close to the vest for so long that there's not enough time to really see what the difference is that Zonama Sakata is alive or not. And it's not like the, I mean, the last couple chapters where they're like, oh, the, the like fighter jet things that are fighting the uh, like sh- mine layer ships and whatnot are not piloted. They're just drone whatevers. And I'm like, all right, because the planet's alive, that's great. Yeah, you could you have didn't... just had them be like, oh, those ships are alive. We already saw fucking one of them whistle and the ship came over. You could just say, oh, yeah, their pilots are on the ground and they're just controlling them with their thoughts. Yeah, or you could have just kept the whole weird classism of Zonama Sakat going and being like, there's no Faroans in those ships. <laughs> there's no people piloting them. Mm-hmm. There's just like vac- factory workers piloting those ships. Yeah. Yeah, no Faroans. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, you're right. It doesn't really affect much. But I, I'm going to say it's largely because it doesn't. the book doesn't give itself time to breathe. No. If we had done that twist at the halfway mark, that Zonama Sakata is a single living entity and it's faking being the Magister, then the fact that the, the whole planet is a single singular entity could have been brought up more often, been explained to us as to why it mattered and how, and that would have made it more interesting. Yeah. So to, to the point where when I hear Big Twist, my first thought is, oh, you mean that it secretly has the Yuzhan Vong in it, but it never says the name? just like fucking mall lockdown did, uh, then then sure, I guess that's kind of an interesting thing to know going in. Yeah, but it's not the twist, because the twist, like, that's not a twist, because it's not part of it. I know. That's just, know. oh, later on a book would reference this. Yeah. The big twist that Anakin doesn't get to co- keep his cool organic spaceship, and, and we don't have another reason why it's not at the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh. Let's see. What changed Sinar from bratty sub to just done with this shit? Shitty what top. What ruined their dynamic? It's a shitty top. It's, it's, it's that oh, simple. Tarkin is an awful top who thinks he's a great top. Exactly. He's the exact worst kind of top. The oh, kind, yeah. Yeah. The kind who shows up at like basic events and swans around acting like they're too important for this shit. And you're like, why did you come here? What are you doing here? Like, you didn't need to come to Zonama Sakat. You could have just stayed back at home and let Sinar deal with this the way he was meant to do. And I'll tell you, the number one thing that turns Sinar off to the whole fucking game he was playing, Tarkin is predictable. 
Yeah. He wanted someone new and dynamic and interesting and at an intellectual and, and passion level at least equivalent to himself. And he gets this predictable, boring space racist. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Tarkin's just like, ah, don't worry, I won't yet set you up. Ha ha, I did. And he's like, yeah, obviously yeah, you I did. Oh, God. Could Fucking... you at least play, can we play cat and mouse a little bit no more? No. Uh, I don't like that. I'm going to immediately do my thing and then leave. I don't know what aftercare is. Good day. <laughs> what are you talking about? I came. Sex is over. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Tarkin. Shitty top. <laughs> yeah, that's all. It doesn't really need a more complicated explanation than that. And honestly, the fact that he immediately turns off like that is not a bad thing. No, it's, and it, that's part of what was interesting about Sinar. If, when it happens, instead of him being like, ooh, and now's my chance to keep playing with him, he's like, Oh no, this guy doesn't care. He's not into playing. He's not doing the same thing I am. He's just in it for the power yeah. and doesn't give a shit. Yeah, there's a point in this book where you can tell that Tarkin doesn't know, but he's just been dumped. <laughs> yeah, when he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll have a place for you. Maybe you'll also get things when I'm in power. And he's like, yes, I'm sure that'll be definitely mm. what will happen. I guess I'll stand around behind you and sweep up the hair you're dropping on the ground, huh? You know, because you're balding fuck you i'm out <laughs> so so yeah i mean it's it's an important part of this this it helps make sinar a yet more interesting character yeah the fact that he recognizes that tarkin fucking sucks even if he's also the architect of the tie fighter he's not a good person no sinar isn't a good person but he is also like i have very distinct things that i am into and i thought tarkin would also be and he is not and i do not care about him anymore yeah yeah he's moved on yeah. Dot com. <laughs> uh, let's see. What other media property would you like to see crossover with Star Wars? As um, has, Have we seen any? I mean, I guess we did the Finneys and for bonus content. That's probably yeah. where that, that's coming from. Um, let's, so let's see. Who would have a fun time playing around in the Star Wars universe that hasn't had the chance to yet? I mean, the obvious thing is Star Trek having a crossover uh, Star Trek thing. The final answer to the question of what would happen. Yeah. Be like, okay, how ridiculous is the Enterprise, comparably speaking. Depends on which one, but the fucking D is enormous. Yeah, it the, is. The D's a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> ah, the D's a monster. Thor you know the, what I'm talking about. Thor the D. <laughs> well, it hurts. <laughs> the Enterprise D is is um, like a cruise ship. It's fucking... It's like 1,600 uh, crew or something like that. So it doesn't really fit neatly into the dynamic of the Star Wars ships. Mm -hmm. It's too big to be anything comparable to like the Falcon and way smaller than a, than a uh, Star Destroyer. So it occupies this weird middle ground where the only ship that's even comparable in size is like the Corellian Corvette. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got that going on. Uh, plus, they're just so, I mean, mostly the question to me is which one would fit into the other one's world? Like, yeah. Do you think you'd, you'd be basically, we, well, we found the Federation. Oh, no, it would definitely be. I mean, just like every crossover with Star Trek, you're like, all right, either portal. Q or some portal. Yeah. And they, they show up in this universe and they're like, oh, what a weird thing that we're hanging out here. And then you do a bunch of nonsense, fucking, depending on which Trek thing, uh, like, crosses over, you're like, all right, who's the one person that gets to figure out Force stuff? Like, Deanna Troy gets to figure out Force nonsense, Chakotay gets to figure out Force nonsense. Who gets Force? <laughs> who's, who's the one who goes, hey, I got sensitivity things, it's, I can do this. It's data, and it blows everyone's fucking mind. 
Oh, no. Data has an entire droid subplot. Yeah. Like, he meets 3PO, and there is a whole deal where he finds out about the subjugation of droids and is like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, granted, he's already pretty much on board with being as mean to droids as he is, as everyone else would be, based on the Exocomp episode. Ah. But uh, I'm, I remember how it goes. I haven't watched the Exocomp episode in quite some time. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, if I'm throwing an answer out to this one, I want to find, like, the worst possible cartoon sitcom that I enjoy and have it cross over with Star Wars in a similar fashion to Phineas and Ferb. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably going to go with Adventure Time. Great. I think it'd be pretty great if there was just, like, a ruined Star Destroyer on Ooh, and then you get to watch, like, Finn, Finn and Jake go exploring through it and finding, like, zombie stormtroopers rising up from the ashes and attacking them and stuff, and they never address it. No. It, it, and that's all it is. It's just a, a crash Star Destroyer as part of the world. And there's like Star Destroyer Princess who lives in it. And she's wearing like a half a Stormtrooper helmet. Oh, Darth Princess. Darth Princess would be so good. <laughs> and that's just pulled at random from, from my head. That I just think it'd be neat to see the visual imagery of Star Wars worked into the background. Kind of like if you did it with Thundar the Barbarian or something. Yeah. It's just part of the wreckage. It's just part of it. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, what? Other head of a major industrial company should feature in a Star Wars novel. The CEO of Blast Tech, chairman of the board of Incom. I mean, actually, I don't hate the idea of knowing what's going on with some of the weird businesses. Because there are a lot of periphery stuff that happens. Mm. And tech in the Star Wars universe is always in such a weird place. Yes. yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's hyper advanced. But it's been hyper-advanced and hasn't moved for, like, a hundred thousand years. We've been at the exact same level of everything forever. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Star Wars is on the side of, like, Moana's dad. But you always have these tech companies that are like, we're making the latest and greatest, the newest whatevers. And you're like, no, you're not. You're making the same shit that has existed for at least 5,000 years. But it has a red stripe now. <laughs> <laughs> it goes faster it goes slightly faster because of the red stripe on there yeah i put this beer in there it's got red stripe we've gone now. through the alphabet of wings four times <laughs> we're in calm and we don't innovate it seems like it would be interesting at least from maybe not the perspective of the person in charge but like a lead scientist in one of these trying to innovate and seeing if it's either a no, there's a hard scientific limitation that we've just hit what is actually possible. Mm -hmm. Or if they try and do something and then orders come down from the top where they're like, you cannot do that. If you do that, then it will like unbalance the galaxy. Yes. The second you start doing that shit. Yeah. That said, I would like to see a Sinar novel where the villain of uh, the antagonist, so to speak, because obviously he is the villain of his own novels. Obviously. Uh, would be a guy named BLR Bribs who is the CEO of Incom, which uh -huh. is the, the, the uh, X-Wing company. Yeah. So that way, and it's got nothing to do with that. Like, we're talking like after he retired as the CEO of the guy who like makes uh, TIE Fighters, and then he's just getting into like, I don't know, homeowner association wars with this Bribs character. Like the two of them oh, live near each other. And it's they the just, standard Christmas thing where yeah. you're like, oh, the fucking Incom guy's got better lights than me on his house. <laughs> I need to install an even bigger pool. <laughs> I'm going to have cheaper, yet vastly more lights on my house. I don't even know what BLR's Bribs is. It looks like he's a Sullustan. That's fine. You have the, so you have Sinar, who's like, 
trying to get into this game of cat and even sexier cat with his like rival, and then it shows up and it's just one of those guys. X wings. He's like, I, I, how am I supposed to? I, I can't roll with this. Mary's life day. I'm not even space racist. So, but the other one, of course, would be the the illustrious CEO of Tendrando Arms. Because that's just Lando. That's his giant in co- arms company. Yeah. Um, just because he's gotten lots of books. So why not? Why not? Yeah. All right. What else we got? Is it me? Yeah. Then uh, here we go. As something of authors yourselves. Oh, something of. We're eight times published, baby. <laughs> sure, a lot of those books didn't sell at all. And a lot of other ones are barely books. But we wrote them. <laughs> they happened. Uh-huh. Uh, as something of authors yourselves, how low do you think you could get the page count of this book without re- really losing anything of value? I mean, it's about 326 pages, I think. He was like some guess-your-weight carnival barker guy. That was a weirdly exact number. Go to it. See how many pages that is. I'm on it. I'm on it. Let me know. I will. Keep talking, though. Okay. I got Uh, a lot of back stuff in here. 328. Are you sure? Is that including the interview? (laughs) No, it's not, because this book doesn't have the page numbers for any... But you know what? I'm, I'm willing to allow that our books are slightly different. Okay. Because mine has all that shit in the back. Yeah. But uh, 326 uh, goes to 320. The coda does not get page numbers. The last chapter ends on 328. Okay. Yeah. Uh, damn, I was so close. You really were, but you didn't go over. So by Price is Right rules, you uh, yeah. you win at the Carnival Barker thing. <laughs> uh, but I think you could probably, if you were keeping the exact same plot, not you know keeping the page count and adding in some extra stuff to fill in the gaps, you could definitely cut at least... I would say a good 75 pages from this. Yes, absolutely. I think this could be written. You could probably make a movie script out of this because it's it's a short enough story that you could get a good two hour movie out of this. Oh, yeah, because it has an opening scene, mm-hmm. a middle plot that then drives to a final conclusion. And so much of that middle bit is just like Anakin or Obi-Wan navel gazing about building yeah. a ship that when you get rid of a lot of that and just leave in the good like character moments and interactions with people. And I don't know, probably you don't even need a lot of the random ass people that they meet. Cause you're like, Oh, when they go to like the North part of the planet and yeah, meet someone that. and get through that whole thing, I'm like, yeah, need, that's two seconds. You don't need two factory workers that you meet. You don't need Vag and Vigino. You can, you can get one of them and be fine or Vig and Vagino. Yeah. Well, one of them is fine. Um, there's a lot you could cut. There's a lot I wouldn't want to. Like, I, I'm pretty sure you could cut Charza Quinn and not lose anything. Oh, I wouldn't want to. Charza's rad. He's rad. What I would probably cut, and I, I feel like this is sacrilege to say, I don't think Tarkin needs to be here. I think you could cut him and not lose anything. It could be Sinar's loss oh. and not Tarkin's loss. So you don't need that. And the reason I'm suggesting cutting anything at all is because the middle part of this movie would be incomparably boring. Because it's just, I don't know, they make it to the planet, they get into a bunch of arguments, they spend a long time building a spaceship and learning stuff. And there's no cool fights or anything. No one's doing anything interesting. Yeah, it's why I was like, I would want to have more Key Dave shit in here, because at least he's doing stuff. Well, you just take someone else that was around in this time period and give them a side story. Oh, well, let's find out what Kit Fisto's doing. Meanwhile, in the Fisto sphere, he has to get in a fight with a bunch of fish monsters. Great. Just put it on screen because it's cool looking. But I mean, if we're just taking this and cutting stuff out, easily get about 75 pages i think you could yeah for sure you could cut a lot of shit in here down and it would be 
basically fine. Just look up how many times I posted the episode with the description being, and they're spinning their wheels again. And you can cut that entire episode worth of, con- of page space. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think you're up. Uh, you can pick any famous sci-fi author to write a Star Wars novel. Who are they and what is the novel about? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I don't really know a lot of, I mean, you've asked the wrong people. We read a role-playing game every day and also a Star Wars novel, and we don't read anything classic or good by anyone classic or good. Yeah. When I was like, uh, who's the sci-fi author? Leonard Nimoy. No, no, stop William it. William Shatner. I mean, Star technically, Wars tech, yes. Star Tech Wars, we'll call it. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I mean, granted, would I like to read a Shatner-penned Star Wars novel? Yes. Yes, obviously. Clearly. I don't know if it, does, it has to say a uh, fame. Yeah, it's a fame. He's a famous sci-fi author. What do you yeah, do dude. about it? Fuck you. It, it's Shatner. Next. Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> Star Tech Wars. That's what we want. Also, that's incidentally the answer to our previous question about crossovers as yeah. well. Oh, Star Tech. Who would play Sinar in an on-screen adaptation of Rogue Planet? Man, that was such a good question, and I saw it when it was asked, and I was like, oh, I should look up who that should be, and then did not do any work on it. <laughs> uh, I feel like Neil Patrick Harris would probably be my initial go-to. It's a very good choice. Like, <sighs> I mean, it. I, I don't want to be stereotypical and only pick, like, prominently gay actors to play this role. Yeah. But he is described as a narrow white dude slightly balding uh and uh, we don't even he's not even necessary the whole gay thing is a reading that we're doing yeah it's not like this book describes him as out and proud you know that that's not part of it it's just kind of obvious man i'm trying to think cuz i'm like you got to get someone who's about 40ish sure and that's really hard cuz most of the people i can think of are either like young actors or in their 60s yeah cuz i'm like ooh i'd love like Brian Cranston to be an old Wraith Sinar, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't. He wouldn't be right for a you know younger forty year old Wraith Sinar. I, I, I'm trying to remember how old Neil Patrick Harris currently is because I feel like his current incarnation is just about perfect. He's a little too. He's fifty. Okay, and he's a little too nice looking for this role. Yeah, but he's played interesting villains before. He can do that. Okay, so I mean. So I kind of like the idea, even though Sinar is an absolute dick, of playing him or, or having someone who cast to play him who looks nice, but, you know, isn't. Because that way you get you uh, have him playing across from Peter Cushing, who looks like a vampire. Yeah. God damn it. I keep thinking of people that are still just a bit too old. Like, I would, God, I would love a slightly younger John Stamos to be... <laughs> Sinar, how fucking good would that? Yeah, but only if we can get Dave Coulier to be <laughs> Dave Coulier, Tarkin, thank you. Please uh, and thank you. And obviously Saget's the Emperor. Obviously. <laughs> God. Time to slam your dick in that drawer. <laughs> uh I'll take I could take an Orlando Bloom. Oh, I can see he's, that. Sure. He's got a good because they it keeps describing both Tarkin and Sinar as being rather like, you know angular sharp featured type people they're both sort of similar looking Mm -hmm. so i could see that maybe a hiddleston all right i could see that um i'm gonna throw one out for my my always recommending him boy wentworth miller all right sure i'll i think it's probably about the right age right now i'm never gonna be like no 
Never Rent Wentworth Miller. Never Wentworth. <laughs> I fucking love that guy, and I feel like he'd be good at it because he's got that exact right level of I'm I'm a bit of a uh, I've got a little bit of an attitude going on. Yeah, I think I'll go ahead and say my final thing is Hiddleston because I think he hits the right notes. Oh, he and looks has the right look. The, he looks exactly right for the part. That that's yeah. and plus he's already super friendly with Disney. Exactly. Yeah. So. Hiddleston's a great tree. He's probably too old. I think he's like, no, he's only, he's ex- almost exactly 40, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's around, I want to say maybe like 45-ish. Yeah. So I think that works. Okay. Well, there you go. We got lots of good answers for you. There take, you go. Ch- take as you will. Uh, Let's see. I think I'm going to try something different. What two all new Star Wars movies would you make to give the series a Barbenheimer moment? So they have to both be Star Wars I movies. I mean, that's though. not how that would work. It would have to be some random bullshit thing and a Star Wars movie. <laughs> You know, just like it was some random bullshit thing and Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As with some random bullshit Heimer and Barbie. <laughs> oh, bullshit Heimer. <laughs> yeah, it's the Heimerdinger Heimer. movie. It's the movie about the League of Legends character Heimerdinger. <laughs> okay, so uh, instead of Heimer, it's going to be Hinder because it's a movie about asses. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's the story of how the beer Heineken would, was made. Okay, so yeah, it's a biopic about Heineken, or a Heineken biopic. Which Star is what... Heine is the, <laughs> the combo name that we'll have. It's a tough question, largely, because the que- as written, it's like, what two wildly different Star Wars movies would people go to see? And I love the idea of Disney putting out two Star Wars movies on the same day. And <laughs> be having like, that be here, you two fight to the death. Figure it out. <laughs> You'll see both. Uh, the weaker one will die <laughs> oh yeah just doing a full thing where you're like what are you gonna put out oh we're gonna put out two character study movies mm-hmm. and see which character gets a sequel <laughs> like here you go here's Mo-Mon a Lando Nate. movie and here's like a Mon Mothma movie yeah and both of them you figure big. it out Mon Mothma's got more recent appearances she was on that uh, in several shows recently but I would like it if they just picked two random nobodies and just had them fight and they were just like uh, it's Bib Fortuna versus Momon Nadon <laughs> who do you like more Bib Modon <laughs> we're gonna call it a Moma Fortuna uh, m- movie night doesn't work out I don't like that part nope that's sucks. not working for me <laughs> It's uh, Soup Guy versus uh, Yaddle. <laughs> soup Guy versus Yaddle. <laughs> a Yaddle of Soup, we call it. We're calling it No Soup for Yaddle. Uh, so so there you have it. That's, um, that's a horror that's, show. That's something. <laughs> All right. Uh, so will you pick a living author again for a change, or do we have to call a hit squad to help them along since you can keep picking at, uh, authors who died right before we wrote Oh, them? my God. I should look up and see if the next author is still alive just to, just to know. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess that's a little hint to everybody. I kind of, I once again have, have loosened the reins, and, let, and I'm letting John pick a book. Yeah. Let's, let's find out. Oop, still alive. Woo! Well, Hell yeah. The clock is ticking on the, he's got two weeks. <laughs> They, they have two weeks. I don't know who it is. She. She. Mm. She's got two weeks. <laughs> She's I need to younger than my, we are. I need to re-examine my privileges. Mm. Ladies can be authors too, Jeff. <laughs> I'm trying to make that happen. And it turns out the doctor was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that joke is dumb. That riddle is dumb. Uh, I believe you'll think you'll find his her story. <laughs> You're one of the good ones. <laughs> uh Let's see. 
Uh, what are the living planet Jeff and the living planet John like? Oh, I mean, the living planet John is super chill. It probably also smells like cinnamon rolls there. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> you know, provide basically is just a big Cinnabon. Yeah. If you're already a planet, then you got room to spread out and eat some cinnamon rolls. You know, you can quit your diet. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I just got a bunch of little critters crawling around on me eating my cinnamon rolls. I really don't want to find out what my own planet would be like. That would be an anxious mess. Oh, All predators. Fucked up planet. Yeah, not cool. <laughs> I would not recommend going there. Turns out there's a weird tumor on this planet that causes all of the creatures to be hyper aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. They, if you can not get caught for about 20 seconds, they'll look at something else and wander off. Yeah, and if you land anything on the planet, vines will immediately wrap up around your ship and not let it go, because I feel like you don't like me if you leave. <laughs> yeah, if you leave the planet, it'll immediately be like, oh, where are you going? Where are you going? Why'd you do that? What, did I do something wrong? That's, you, it's probably because of me. Are you going somewhere? I'll Am te- I not invited? I'll, I'll text you. <laughs> <laughs> Telling every other planet in the solar system, I think that spaceship hates me. <laughs> Can you ask? Can you ask that spaceship if it hates me? I think it. I think it hates me. <laughs> I think everyone hates me. Uh, meanwhile, the bottom half of my planet is also covered in smoke. Blaze it! <laughs> the bottom half of my half planet, or bottom half of my planet, is also covered in smoke because I've got my dick out. The, what? You say your dick. dick emits smoke like a smoke machine? No, I'm saying. That Are that's... you saying that you provide the fog for a haunted house with your dick? Are you saying... That's a whole new sentence. Are you saying... (laughs) If I could, I would. That'd be an amazing seasonal job. Are you saying you come cumulus? Is that what's going on here? (laughs) The first time. Then it's all serious. Why so serious? (laughs) Next question. Yeah, I think it's time. We're also way over, so be, be judicious in your selections. It's your turn. Oh, you shit. figure it out. Well, we're pretty close to done, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, okay, ha- let's see. So knowing how this book went, how do you think the first meeting between Vader and Tarkin went? Well, as I'll point out, this book contains the first meeting between Vader and Tarkin. No, it has the first meeting between Anakin and no, Tarkin. I know, but yeah, I mean, technically this has the, the first encounter between those two those two brains that meet in this book for the first time ever. But, uh, but anyway, I, I feel like... I mean, but it's Vader so fucking broken down when when you first meet him in in the Empire. When all those Empire guys are meeting him, he's just like a professional hit squad man. I, I mean, I gotta feel like the first time Vader meets Tarkin after this book, it's been, you know, probably about what another ten, twelve, fifteen uh, years, probably thirty years. Yeah. Oh no, I, I don't know. It depends on whenever Order sixty six gets so busy that. That uh, Tarkin is reporting directly to the Emperor in place. Because he has sight. to become Vader first. So yes. it's after Mustafar. Yes. And at that point, as soon as he meets Tarkin and is like, now I'm Vader, I feel like he's going to go, oh, this fucking guy. Yeah. Oh, I know what this guy's about. Easy. Yeah. This guy is a great tool. Yeah. I, I figure all that's going to happen, like, li- my, literally, my, my view is. Once he's Vader and he's off doing kill missions for the Emperor, unless it specifically pertains to Padme or Obi-Wan or someone else who wronged him in the past, he's n- he doesn't give a shit. Like, he's going to meet Tarkin and be like, I don't know, that's just another fucking guy in a suit that I have to meet on the de- on the hallways of these things. I don't care. No, he'll meet him and go, I remember Jabatha. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> Tarkin's like, that can't be right. That, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> 
But I like to imagine that he's like, oh, no, I saw what your whole deal is, and that's perfect for what I need you to do, which is to be an overwhelming piece of shit. Yeah. You're perfect for this. That's fine. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, out of the antagonists from the other Star Wars novels you've read, which would have been most improved by having a bratty sub like Ray Sinar along with them? Uh, Tavira? <laughs> from uh, from iJedi? I think that'd be kind of funny. Like, I feel like she'd do well with a, with a bratty gay friend. I mean... It just feels right, you know? Like, that makes sense to me, that she's like 19 and a, a, uh, a, a super hot sex-forward admiral. I feel like she should have a cool gay best friend. Uh. Uh, what the fuck is the name of the bad guy from Crystal Star? Uh, Waru? No. Oh, wait. Are you thinking of Planet of Twilight? The one where it's like the... Or, or wait, if, Hethrier. Yeah, yeah, Hethrier. Yethrier. Hethrier. Well, yeah, it hurt <laughs> Hethrier. God damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Hethrier could have used that energy, because Hethrier was, like Tarkin very much up his own ass and yeah. you're like oh you need someone to take the piss out yeah, of you yeah he, he would do well with that to have, a, have another guy just stand like doing snaps whenever he drops an insult <laughs> uh, or just, just insulting him as, for being cheap oh yeah just as soon as he like orders the various children to go do a thing like he leaves and then the other guy rolls his eyes and he's like alright kids we're getting cinnamon rolls <laughs> I feel like Beldorion would also be a fun one to have that. Like, ah. just to, just basically give him a C-3PO. Sure. Yeah, just like a like a sassy C-3PO that hangs around with Beldorion and translates when he wants to speak Hutties. Ah. But translates, like, wrong. Like, to see if he'll get in trouble. <laughs> uh. So, there you go. All right, uh, let's see. Some kind of threat from outside the galaxy is something that Star Wars media played with a lot. Would a different looming threat slash foreshadow conflict work better? I think that actually stems from one of the bigger problems with Star Wars as a setting is that they're like, oh, we've mapped out an entire galaxy and we know everything in a whole ass galaxy. I'm like, no, you don't. They really don't. They, people like to act like they do because the maps exist. But, you know, there's a reason that prior to him being added to the Rebel show and so on, fucking uh, Thrawn was the only Chiss anyone had ever fucking heard of because they live so far on the other ass end of the galaxy that... They might as well not exist. Yeah. And it feels like you don't need to have extra galactic things. There are intragalactic things yes. that could be just as easily as terrifying. Yeah. So uh, Mer uh, Mingle Mingle or Murgle Murgle or whatever his name was. <laughs> is, th th that's another great example is like, oh, there's a Grey Goose scenario happening in this galaxy. Yeah. We don't even need to go extra galactic for it. That That's just a, a fucking thing that's happening. Yeah. Just a weird, nasty tar monster is going around being the most sadistic psychic predator that it can be yeah and it, it's not even the only one because you could probably call that that black dahlia whatever it was the fucking uh the thing that's making the zombie plague happen mm. it's also a black tar monster <laughs> which causes its own infectious armies to spring up like the galaxy's full of all kinds of dangerous shit you don't need to go from outside too much i do kind of wish that the XR Kuhn thing had happened on a grinder scale at some point mm. that one of the bad guys had just been like an army of Sith ghosts. Ah. I feel like that would have been kind of neat because what do you do about it? Well, I know who to call. C.O. <laughs> 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 uh, Bibble. Uh. I mean, the Ghostbusters. But no, it'd be pretty fucking great to be like, oh, it's an army of force ghosts that realize they could all just appear to each other. And then they started making plans. That'd be neat. It'd be neat. All right. 
Uh, what do you think the plot is of Rogue Planet's companion book, Rouge Planet? <laughs> one of my favorite things is that they switched out Thief for Rogue in D&D, thus establishing that the hardest one to spell became the other hardest one to spell. Yeah. Because the amount of times I've seen Thief, or Thief. 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 Written down, and then ro- Rouge. Oh, Rouge Planet. I don't know. I just know it'd be super sexually frustrating. You know, you got to find those Chaos Emeralds, but this Rouge, this Rouge character... <laughs> Just turn in your head. You can't understand why. Better rap about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Uh-huh. Do we need to go further detail than the, the Sonic Adventure 2 jokes? Probably not. So, uh, one last question, I guess. Okay, yeah. One last question. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> all right. One more of the same type of joke. How many D6s Zonama Seacoats sneak attack? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a fucking planet. It doesn't matter. Do you see the weapon it's wielding? Like a dagger for that planet is still going to do just hundreds of D6. Yeah, but I th- And then an extra yeah, three for your right, sneak yeah, attack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good. It just depends on what level rogue it is, I guess. Probably probably two or three. I mean, it's a baby. We established that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's old, but it only started gaining levels recently. Yeah, so, so there you go. A uh, three million D6 plus three for the sneak attack. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and there you go. That's all the questions. Now it's time to wrap this bad boy up That's with right. the announcement of what's coming next. And because I have no idea, because I've chosen the path of chaos <laughs> yep. in a word. Uh, chaos. All right. I will, as always, read the back of the book for I'm you. I'm ready and listening. The Horde is nothing. With those infamous, infamous words, Sylvanas Windrunner betrayed <laughs> and abandoned the Horde she vowed to serve. Damn it. The Dark Lady and her forces now work in the shadows as both the Horde and Alliance race to uncover her next move, including her own sister, Illyria. Struggling to shoulder the crushing weight of leadership, King Anduin entrusts the Void Elf and High Exarch Turalyon to uncover Sylvanas's whereabouts. The Horde now stands at a crossroads. The various factions form a council, leaving the mantle of War Chief to rest. Thrall, Lorthamar Theron, Bane Bloodhoof, First Arcanist Thalir Thalisra? Thalisra. Thalisra, Jesus. And many other familiar faces rise to this new challenge, but the threats are numerous, and the distrust runs too deep. God damn it. When the council is derailed by a failed assassination attempt on Talanji, the Zandalari queen and a key ally, Thrall and the rest of the Horde leaders are forced into action. They empower the young troll shaman Zakan, still grieving the loss of Varok Saurfang, with a critical mission to aid Talanji and help uncover the rising threat against her. Meanwhile... Jesus, this goes on. Wow, okay, this is the whole fucking book. Nathanos Blightcaller and Sira Moonwarden have been tasked by the Dark Lady with a terrifying gambit to kill the troll Loa of death himself, Bwansamdi. God damn it, I know every single name here, it's killing me. As Zakan and Talanji work to save Bwansamdi, their journey will be a key turning point in bolstering the Horde against the coming darkness and finding themselves along the way. Failure to save their allies and the trickster god will surely doom the horde, but through success, they may rediscover 
What makes the Horde strong? Ugh, God, it's set during the previous expansion, or two expansions back. Shadows Rising oh. is the novel. Okay. A tie-in to Shadowlands. No, it's good. Yeah, it's set, it's set it's two expansions between back. Between Battle of Azeroth and Shadowlands. Oh. It is the bridge between them. Two expansions I didn't play. I did. I can't <laughs> wait. I used to have a max level Demon Hunter. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <sighs> I think the only name I didn't know off the top of my head from everything you just said is Zakan, so I have to assume that he's the the uh, author insert or whatever. Maybe. But there you go. We're doing a World of Warcraft novel because I hate everything. <laughs> Great. And yeah. I specifically had to find one from an era that I didn't already know about. Yeah. I was like, well, I can't do a Lich King one. Yeah, no, because you know Lich King. Yeah. But you managed to pick one I know about, so I'll be irritated the whole time. Good. Perfect choice. You could have done one expansion further ahead. Nope. <laughs> can't do it. That was the last one I played. I didn't play the one where they go to, like, hell or whatever that was. That's Shadowlands. Oh, this is oh, this is set between the two, yeah. Yeah, this is after Battle of Azeroth, before Shadowlands. Yeah. Makes sense, because it's got the de- the uh, deception and, and betrayal of Sierra Moonrunner listed among the things that happened. Yeah. All right, fine. I don't think they have a novel for the latest one, the the dragon one, whatever the fuck yeah, Dragon is. Isles or whatever it's called. I don't even, that's the one where, the, where you can play as a dragon now, kind yeah, of. Yeah, you can be a dragon guy yeah. or girl. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't played it in forever, and I'm not gonna. Yep. So there you go. Shadows Rising, the next book we are doing. Wonderful. I can't wait. And, uh, you know, just as a, a quick bit of wrap-up, we're going to try scaling back to once every two weeks for uh, for the novel bit for a little while, just because we need some extra time to finish some book stuff and so on, and just to see how that goes. Yeah. If we don't like it, we'll go back to weekly. We're just going to try it for a little while. Yeah. We may change it at any time. I don't Who know. Knows? Who knows? We can do anything we want. We're capricious. We're capricious and crazy here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have wild whims. Mm-hmm. We go where the wind takes us. So uh, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, we're going to be making our bonus content. You'll, we'll see you over in the Patreon for that, patreon.com slash systemmastery. Support us at the $4 level to unlock all of the fascinating bonus content that you can shake a stick at. And there are other levels you can support us at as well. That's, That's right. right. Great way to get it. Plus ad-free uh, RSS feed that combines all the shows. Good choice. But I won't belabor the point because we've been going long. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Elans Lisbagano. And I'm ready to make my own rogue planet backstabbins. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Fucking World of Warcraft ass. Mo- <laughs>